0: scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 9 verses 12 to 17. This is the First Nations version. He feeds 5,000. It was becoming late in the day, so his message bearers said to him, This is a deserted place. Let us send the people away to the villages in the countryside so they can find food to eat. You feed them, he said with a smile on his face. We have only five pieces of fry bread and two small fish unless you want us to go and buy food for this many people. For there are about 5,000 men there, and also women and children. Creator Sets Free said to them, Have the people gather together um, in groups of 50 and sit down on the grass. So they did what he asked. The people began to scoop up their children and belongings and gather together. Creator Sets Free waited patiently for them to finish. When they were all settled down, He had had his message bearers sit, bring him baskets, and stand in a circle around him. He took the five pieces of fry bread with the two fishes and held them up to the sky. He looked up, spoke words of blessing over them, broke them into smaller pieces, and gave them to his message bearers to give to the people. Everyone ate until they were full. When they gathered up the leftovers, it took twelve baskets to hold them all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You're a good God, Father. Um, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. For we, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our theme on the around the table. Welcome and hospitality. And in our text this morning, Luke's record for us feeding of, the feeding of 5,000. It uh, uh, must be meaningful for those disciples those early days because this is uh, the only miracle that is recorded by all four Gospels. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 comes at the heel of Jesus, sending his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, early in chapter 9. It's shortly after their return and their report to Jesus that a crowd formed to listen to him speak Um, and those who needed healing uh, to be healed. Have you ever noticed how um, many times repentance and healing go hand in hand? Repentance and healing go hand in hand. And uh, because we're not only sinners, but we're also sinned against. We're also people who carry with within ourselves these deep wounds that need healing. Um, And so we're thankful for the team that's gone out to Onion Lake because they're part of the healing process that our nation is so desperately in need of. Repentance. Repentance as a community of faith. Repentance as being complicit in the wounding of the First Nations of this country. That we might become uh, part of the healing process in their lives and in our lives as well. Faced with this uh, situation, the disciples, practical men as they were, Asked that uh, the Lord would send them all away. (laughs) They sent them all away so that they could get lodging and provision because they, they noted that they were in a desolate or isolated place. There were no McDonald's close by or Super 8 motels. They were in a place lacking of any convenience. Isolated and desolate. And then Jesus asks them to do something that they knew were, it was impossible. He says to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You can almost hear him say, what? What in the world? We have five loaves, two fish, barely enough to feed ourselves. How is it possible to feed these, this crowd? But Jesus takes what they offer, this is all they have blesses it, and it was more than enough to feed 5,000 men, it says. There were also women, I think, and children there, families there as well. The whole feeding of the 5,000 was more, I think, for the benefit of these disciples, right? Because Jesus understood that these men in the days to come will have to face impossible odds, and at times remembering that Jesus was enough is enough is the only thing they will get him through because they knew Jesus knew that for his sake all these men his disciples will face hard times all of them will be persecuted and with the exception of John they will all die of martyrdom murdered for their faith so what do we make of of this seemingly impossible story. At times, following Jesus will lead us uh, to desert places. Send the crowd away, right, for we are here in a desolate place. And our short term team found themselves in a desolate place where there were no conveniences. No electronics (laughs) to play with. And they had to learn some lessons. There are truths about ourselves and God that can only be learned in desolate places. Jesus began his earthly ministry in a desolate place, being tempted by the devil, where he struggled to remain faithful to his calling to be a ransom for many to die on that cross when he had the wherewithal to walk away. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the weight of, that, uh, of what awaited him on that cross caused him to, the stress of it caused him to sweat, great amount of blood, he cries out, not my will, but thine be done. Desolate places, wilderness places, strips away any sense of self-reliance, where our only hope is in God and our only option is to pray, to wait for his deliverance. Almost the entire narrative or story of Exodus is a journey through the desert, a desolate place, where in the heat of the day and the cold of the night, slaves were forged into a nation. Slaves were forged into a nation. It took 40 years of hard lessons through the desert to mold this ragtag group of slaves into a people who understood, who understood who they were and birthed in them what they want to become friends first baptist church you have been uh, relocating in 27 places of worship in the past two and years and five months must seem like you to you wandering in the wilderness. You're in good company. (laughs) You're in good company. It is in times like these that important lessons are to be learned. As you push through the challenges ahead to get to where you want to be, know that God is doing something for you and in you as you make your way home. That God is doing something for you and in you as you make your way home. Those desolate places are places of testing. Not so much testing to measure up, but testing to make us more resilient for the task ahead. First Baptist Church, you have a more important mission to fulfill in your future um, secondly I think faith is nurtured in desolate places you give them something to eat can you imagine how crazy that must have sound to those disciples we only have five loaves and two fish they didn't say it but they must have thought it how do you expect us to feed 5,000 men How do you expect us to accomplish this? And it's not the first time that God trains his disciples in the exercise of faith. Think of Moses in the uh, desert of Midian, a fugitive from Pharaoh, perfectly fine to remain anonymous, a notice, a nobody living nowhere special. God says to Moses, Moses. I want you to go set my people free. And Moses rightly answers, well, with what? With what? I'm not equipped. I I don't speak well. I have limited resources. And then, but behold, they they will not believe me, Moses says, or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? What is in your hand? A staff, he says. And God's reply was this. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. Interpretation, right? Okay, I'll take that staff and I'm going to smite Egypt. I'll smite Egypt with your stick. I'll help you. I'll get things done. What about David and Goliath? I only have a slingshot. Or Gideon with his small number of men against an empire. Joshua. Joshua. As he looked over Canaan. And faith seems to deepen and become more profound when times are tough. The testimonies of our martyrs and the persecuted church bears testimony to this reality. Faith seems to grow in desert places because faith at its core is about relationship. And in difficult times, through hard times, it's asked us the question, are we willing still to trust? Are we willing still to hope? Are we willing still to walk with the other? People who have been married a long time understand this, this uh, principle. Are we willing to continue to listen and to walk in times that are difficult? In desolate places, even desperate places, we're challenged to believe that God is able. God is able to make something more from the little that we have to offer. Because ultimately, God is a God of abundance. I was uh, at a coffee shop in Wuhan where many university students would come and try to improve their, um, you know, their level of English with foreigners. Now, my problem is, I look like them. (laughs) So my wife, my wife always gets all the students. You know, we go in the coffee shop, she sits down and boom. They all, uh, my wife is uh, Caucasian. So everybody, she really looks like a foreigner. (laughs) But I look like, you know, them. And so I always sit at the table and uh, I may get two. My wife would get 10. I always complain to her. She, she says, Well, too bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I get into these incredible conversations. And that particular night, I was having a conversation with the university students who wanted to be a writer. And he was working on a play, that or our book, or story about the rich poor divide that was too vast to bridge. The plot, although, was similar to the poorly uh, poorly. Re- Written version of Romeo and Juliet, but it presented an opportunity to discuss the effects of economic inequality in on our societies. And I suggested to him that regardless of what one's political beliefs is or political system they live under, whether it's socialist or communist or democratic or capitalist, whatever it is, all these systems work operate on the assumption a presupposition that there is not enough. There is not enough for me. There's not enough. Then I ask, what if this presumption, this assumption was wrong? What if this was wrong? What kind of government would we construct what kind of economic systems would appear? What if we lived on a planet where a generous God has made it possible to for everyone to have more than enough to live? How would we then live? What kind of economic decisions would we make? What kind of political system would emerge with a presupposition that there is enough and more. Walter Brueggemann makes this observation. He says, So the Exodus narrative tells us that the bread in the wilderness was a divine gesture of enormous abundance. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Right? This is what the Lord has commanded. Israelites did so, and some gathered more, some less. Those who gathered much, had nothing left over, and those who gathered little had no shortages. The narrative stands at the center of Israel's imagination. It embodies and signifies Yahweh's capacity for generosity that stands in complete contrast to the nightmare of scarcity fueled by the rapacious policies of Pharaoh and of Egypt. What if there was enough? What if? The problem in our world is not a problem of scarcity, but a problem of distribution. God's intention for the human race is not just to a long struggle for survival, but to live life abundantly. Isn't that what Jesus said? To live life abundantly. God has made us in his image and his intention for us is to model our lives after him. So he invites us to co-create with him. And as a result, babies are born, cities are built, electricity is harnessed, flight is invented. He invites us to imagine with him, so art is produced, music is played, songs are sung, and stories are written. He invites us into so many God-like actions, including this life-changing world, changing joy-producing work of generosity. What if there is enough? What if there is enough? So Jesus says to his disciple, you give them something to eat. What is unsaid is this, don't worry. I've got your back. I'll take care of the rest. Here's the inexplicable thing about God's dealing with us. He wants us to in be involved with it. He wants us to involve, be involved with Him and what He wants to do in the universe. Even way back in Genesis, He invites our participation. He continues to invite our participation in His mission to rescue humanity. You, people, friends, of First Baptist Church Vancouver, you have been invited. You have been invited to the redemption of the human race. Yeah, at times you're following Jesus will land us in desolate places where our faith expands to participate in God's abundant generosity in his mission to redeem a fallen humanity. What does you give them something to eat, mean for you. We live in a city where many struggle with homelessness. You give them something to eat. We live in a city where many struggle with addiction. You give them something to eat. Mental health issue. Did you know that the immigrant popula- the, the population of Vancouver, 42%, are immigrants, 42%, struggling with income inequality, our indigenous sisters and brothers fighting for justice and dignity. You give them something to eat. That's your marching order. What does it mean? what does it look like for First Baptist Church, Vancouver? You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.